Hey, listen, tonight, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the first 10 verses, but put your finger there. If you were to find grace for somebody, how would you do that? It's a little harder than it seems. Getting something you don't deserve, yeah. Yeah, God's favor, or I've heard it, God's riches at Christ's expense. I've heard that one. Um, but what does that mean? Because recently I was reading this passage, and that word grace kept coming out at me. And I, and I kept going, but God, it means your riches at Christ's expense. And he says, do you really understand the depth of grace? You see, grace is more than just a cute phrase that fits on a t-shirt. Or we throw out, you know, because that's how I learned it. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I, that's how I learned it. But as I began thinking about the word grace, I began thinking about God's riches at Christ's expense, the Spirit began really challenging my soul and saying, Mike, do you really understand the depth, the fullness, and the richness of God's grace? And to be honest, I turned away and said, God, I don't have a clue. I thought it was G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so he brought me into the depth of this passage. And tonight I want to share a few of those things that, I, that God uh, you know, just taught me. And I want, to, I want to share them with you so that you can take them home with you as well. And so if you have your Bibles, let's, let's begin reading. Sorry, y'all, i got to take off my glasses so I can see my paper. As for you, and now he's writing to the believers at the church of Ephesus, but he could very well be writing to the church at, at Wynn, the Baptist church at Wynn. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, for you and for me, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in, with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Man, that's a mouthful, ain't it? Paul goes on. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word grace in here is the word charis, or charis. Depends on how you do your Greek. If you're from the south, it's charis. If you're Joshua, it's charis. Because he's got like, uh, somehow my son has started adding syllables to words. Anybody experience that when they're three, sons or daughters of three? I think it's because he lives in Arkansas. 
But it is, and it means graciousness or favor or unmerited favor. And in the Greek world, it evolved until it represented the gift that was given. It was the actual gift. Here's what David Jeremiah says in his book, Captured by Grace. He says, grace happens and it acts. Grace happens and it acts. And so tonight, I want to share some things about the work of grace. I want to share four benefits, those riches of God's grace. And Paul points us to those in this. Now this is probably, I would dare to say this is a, a full list of those. But there's four very important benefits of the work of grace. The first one is salvation. First one is salvation. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been what? Saved. It is by grace. The work of grace, upon, more than anything else, is our salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, It is for by grace that you have been what? Saved. Again, he reiterates the point that it's grace that ushers in salvation. One of those benefits is salvation. And so we have to ask the question. Paul used this word, so I'm going to throw out the question. What are we being saved from? What do I need to be rescued from? You see, when Cindy and I served in the Northwest, you couldn't use this term. Because the first thing they would ask is, what do I need to be saved from? I live a good life. I take care of my family. I, I love my wife. I've never cheated on her. I go to work every day. I'm faithful at work. Man, we have a great time. We're moral people. We're ethical people. We're law-abiding people. What do I need to be saved from? And even though it's a biblical term in the South, we would say, we would throw out an answer really quick. They don't get that. And so you can't assume that everyone of us understand what it is that we have actually been saved from. But the first thing we've been saved from is sin and the effects of sin, including the penalty of sin. Look with me with verses 1 through 3 again. And listen, if you don't have your Bible, listen. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of those of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul reminded the Ephesians, and he reminds us this evening, that, that we were once dead and our transgressions. And in the New Testament, Paul uses this term dead quite a bit. As a matter of fact, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. What you deserve because of your disobedience to God is death. And what he's saying is what you deserve is separation from God. What you deserve is eternal condemnation. That's what you deserve. That's what we deserved when we, when we were living in our transgressions and in our sins. He's reminded them, too, that, that they followed in the ways of the world of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. I'm just going to tell you who that is. That's the devil. That's the devil. 
Come on, we just need to admit that there's a devil in this world and his job is to, is to take control of our lives. And when we weren't living under the authority of God, we were then living under the authority of the devil. Does that make sense? I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm off here, folks. The problem in our community, the problem in our culture, the problem even in our churches is we never want to admit that there's a real devil. And so we go about as though he doesn't exist and it's only us and God. Yet Paul says we have three enemies. It's the devil, it's the world, and it's our flesh. And he talks about two of those right here. In Romans, I mean in Ephesians 6, 12, even just further on in this book, he says, For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's against the devil and his demons. What Paul is saying here, folks, is do not forget where you came from. Now, how many of you were like me? Maybe you got saved at, at children's camp or something. I was like, I was eight. It is harder for me to remember what I got saved from than somebody who, who came to Christ older in life. Matter of fact, I'll find Christians who got saved older in life in their teens, maybe in their 20s or 30s, and man, they are hot for the Lord. And you know why? Because they know what it's like to be not hot for the Lord. They know what it's like to be hot for the devil. Does that make sense? So we have to remember, man, what did God save me from? He saved me from eternal damnation. He saved me from complete separation from him now and forever. Don't forget what you have been saved from. He also reminds us that all the believers, you and me, were just like those people who live in disobedience to God now. Romans 3.23, I'm sorry. For all have sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. All of us have a sinful nature brought on by what Brother Don preached on this morning. You know, the fall of man gave us all a sinful nature. And we all lived in that nature until we come to Christ. We've also been saved from the wrath of God. He says, look, like them, we were deserving of God's wrath. Ah. Lately, God's really been challenging me on some of these words. Because we throw these around in church like everybody knows what they mean. And we all just nod our head and go, oh yeah. What is God's wrath? I've asked people that and they're like, well. It's, you know, God's angry, you know, he doesn't, you know, he loves us, but he's angry with us because of our sin, and, and yeah, that's right. Listen, because I, I struggle with that, God's wrath, and it's not that I don't believe in God's wrath, but what does that look like, and what does that mean for me? What does that mean for your neighbor who's a sinner and doesn't know Christ? What does that mean for the guy you work with, or the lady you work with, or the teacher you teach with that doesn't know Christ? Listen. Paul reminds us that we all need salvation. Here's what this thing called wrath. It is, it is the personal manifestation of God's holy and moral character and judgment against sin. See, God's holy. And he can't allow your sin or my sin into his presence. So he has to, while he loves us, if we don't have a relationship with him, then he must judge and, and, and do something with the sin in our life. And so he expresses that through his wrath. See, God hates sin. How many of you believe that? 
All right, we believe it, but do we live like it? That's, you're going to have to wrestle that out with God this week. I'm going to leave you with that one. See, it's, it's, it's God's holy in, indignation towards the sin in our life. And when we were living just as those who have not met Christ yet, that's what we deserved. That's what we deserved. His holy indignation towards our sin and towards us. Man, he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. But because of the sin in our lives, he can't. And so therefore he must do something with that sin. And so we've been saved from the penalty, from our sin, the effects of sin, even the penalty of sin. We've also been saved from God's wrath. But what have we been saved to? What have we been saved to? In verse 4, he says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Did you get that? We were already dead, and now we're what? Alive. Yeah. How many live your life with God like that? What does that mean to be alive in Christ? It means that you and I live in such a relationship through Christ that we are empowered to live in obedience to God. You ever thought about that? You see, Romans 6.23 says that it is by the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have life now and forevermore through Christ. We're going to talk about what that looks like here in a minute. Here's the thing about that life. That life that he talks about right here, the life that Paul lived out, the life that he was, he was, he was encouraging and reminding the believers at Ephesus and reminds us here in Wind Baptist Church tonight was something that you and I could not achieve on our own. But only in Christ. That new life he wrote to the Corinthian church, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ again, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That new life is yours. You don't have to live like you used to live. You don't have to live chained to addictions and to desires that are unhealthy for you and for your family and for your walk with your God. Man, we've been released from that. We've been given a new life, a new lease on life. The question is, do you live that new life? Or are you still dragging around those old burdens, those old chains of whatever that was for you? Not only have we been saved from sin, the effects of sin, and the penalty of sin, not only have we been saved from God's wrath, but we have been saved to a new life with Christ. So salvation, grace, the work of grace provides us salvation. But it also provides us a relationship with God. It provides us a relationship. See, salvation opens the door to that relationship. We can't have a relationship with God until we come in through Christ into his, into his presence. You see, it's, 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 it's a shed blood of Christ on the cross that covers our sin. So when I stand in front of a holy God, all he sees is me. He doesn't see my sin. And now I get to encounter a personal relationship with him. 
Look at verse 9. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, but of what? Of God, so that no man could boast. That's a gift of God. It's not anything that you and I earn or deserve. But he says, here, come, have a relationship with me. When we lived in the Northwest, I, my neighbor, we, we had some great relationships with our neighbor. And uh, one of my neighbors and I were working on our houses together one day. And, and uh, we got to talking. He, he, was, he, was, he was not a believer. And so we got to talking. And he had studied some, some, several different religions. And he said, you know, I really kind of see the Buddhism and, and Christianity is kind of close. They're kind of the same. And I said, you know, his name was Bill. I said, Bill. The problem with most religions, it's about me doing something to earn my way into whatever, nirvana or heaven. I said, here's my question for you. And here you can ask anybody that says, all paths lead to heaven. I said, because in salvation, my relationship with God is established through the blood of Jesus. But all the other things, I've got to do stuff. And I said, here's two questions I have that nobody has been able to answer. Number one, what's the score? I want to know if I'm winning or not. And who's keeping score? You think about that. Who's keeping score and what's my score? Because I'd hate to show up in heaven and God said, mm, mm, mm. You know when you did this one thing, that knocked out three good things. You're sorry, dude, you're one short. That would stink, wouldn't it? And so when, when Bill and I got talking about that, and I shared with him, I said, Bill, I'd love to, to think that's possible, but here's the question. Who's keeping score, and what's my score? And he looked at me. He was on a ladder, and I was down below house. We were crocking our houses, and he looked at me. He said, Mike, I've never thought of it that way. I've got to think about that. You see, because I can't earn my way into heaven, and God knew that, and through grace provided salvation, and because of salvation, now you and I get to have a relationship with a living and holy and, and amazing God. We just sing about him. So we have a relationship with God through grace, because of grace. Here's the, four, here's the third thing. You and I have a purpose on earth. You and I have a purpose on us. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to realize that we had something God needed us or wanted us to do for him right here. Look at verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ, Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork, in the Greek it really translates masterpiece. I wish that's a much better translation. I wish we would, they would use that. It, it's masterpiece. It means that when he created you, he created a masterpiece. A very unique masterpiece. Did you ever consider yourself a masterpiece? I mean, because I, I remember, and some of you may have gone through these, these image issues. When I was in the ninth grade, I was five foot one and maybe weighed 101 pounds. And that may have been with football stuff on, too. I don't remember. But when I looked down, I had like size nine feet. I hated my feet. Because I had this little bitty skinny body and these feet that just went out like that. And my pastor, a student pastor one day said, if you guys could do anything 
about you know yourself what would you do change and I said my feet I just and everybody else didn't see it and I did it was just something in my head that was stuck but he knew at one time I was going to eventually grow I was going to add some weight and and I needed you know these feet to, to hold up this body because with size nine feet right now I'd kind of look like you know look like two pegs not a good thing See, God knew what he's doing when he created you. Listen to what he says in the 139th Psalm, beginning with verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are part of his works, by the way. Not just creation. You are part of that. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I don't know if you got that, but, but God intentionally and consciously made you just like you are. It wasn't like he was up in heaven. He went, um, that's a mic. Remind me never to do that again. That was purely an accident. Something fell off his shelf and hit it and... Okay, we're not going to, let's just keep that in here, okay? You're not an accident. God consciously chose to create you just like you are. That's powerful. That means he values you just like you are. You don't have to be anything else to be used by God. And then he says, says you were created for good works. You have a purpose. God has a plan for your life. He wants to use you just like you are for the kingdom of God. Never doubt that you matter to him. Never doubt that. Here's the fourth thing. You have a future in heaven. You have a future in heaven. Not only do you have salvation, you have been saved from separation and condemnation but you have now been saved into this incredible relationship with God realizing that I am I matter to God just like I am and I have there's great things he wants me to do that only I can do that only you can do for the kingdom of God and then he says when we're done I just want you to be I want you to realize that you have a future in heaven because of the work of grace look at verse 6 and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You have a place in the heavens with Christ. Not only are you saved in him, not only do you have a new life through him, but now you get to seat, be seated with him. How many of you are excited to get to sit next to Jesus? I don't know if I'm sitting on his right or left, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere close. And don't think that y'all haven't thought the same thing. I, you know, to be honest, I don't care where I sit. I want to see Jesus. Y'all know what I mean? Because that's going to be powerful. Because I'm going to be seated in the heavenlies. Because God has promised me a future with him. We don't have to worry about where we're going to spend eternity. It's there. So we have salvation. We have relationship with God. We have uh, a purpose here on earth. We have meaning. God has given us meaning in our lives. And then we have a future with him. But these benefits did not come without an expense. Because if we look at the acronym, God's riches at whose expense? Christ's expense. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, quickly, we'll talk about his death. 
But I think it's more than that. And God took me over to Isaiah 53. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Isaiah 53. And we're going to read verses 4 through 10. And as I read, here's what I want you to do. I want you, if you've got your Bibles, you're going to follow along. I want you to watch. Or if you're just listening, I want you to listen for the signs of Christ's expense. You got me? Starting with verse 4. Surely who took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? Who stood up for him? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in this land. Isaiah wrote this prophecy 720 years before any of this happened or so. And it happened just like he said it would. Did you hear those words? Did you hear those phrases? Let me, let me share some of them that, that God pointed out to me. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Punishment that brought us peace was on him, not on me, not on you. It was on Christ. By his wounds we are healed. His wounds. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, the sin of all of us at once. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. The Lord's will was to crush him and cause him to suffer. To be honest, I think we take Christ's expense for granted. Because I think it's more than just the cross. I think there was pain and suffering before he got on that cross and while he was on that cross that we know nothing about. But we need to learn to appreciate. See, his expense wasn't just him laying himself on the cross and saying, okay, it's finished, I'm dead. There was pain. Can you imagine bearing every one of your sins at once? How painful that must be. Much less the sins of the world throughout history all at once. Can you imagine that? I can't. That's, that's, I can't fathom that. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't appreciate it. It doesn't mean I should skim over it and take that for granted. The weight of our sin was placed on him and crushed on him. That was his expense. It wasn't just getting some nails through his hands and through his feet 
and, you know, and pierced in his side and then he died. There was much, it's much deeper than that. There's, there, there's more to that than just some nails and a sword and a crown. Spiritually, there was a whole lot of more going on than what meets the eye. I know some of you have endured some hardship. Physical, spiritual, emotional, relational hardship. And I don't want to discount that. I understand that. I, I have experienced some hardship in my life. I understand. But what we experience on earth is nothing what Jesus experienced on the cross and leading up to the cross. There's no way we can compare our suffering to the suffering of Jesus Christ, to his experience. See, one thing we have to understand is that grace, God's riches, his benefits are never free. Grace is never free. It's never free when we extend it to somebody else. Because we have to bury our pride. We have to bury our bitterness. We have to bury forgiveness or unforgiveness. We have, we have to bury so much in our own lives to look over so that we can extend grace. It costs us something to extend grace to somebody else. So how should grace affect our life? How does it affect our life? Well, this morning, Don said, gave us three things that we lost in the garden. Y'all remember those? First one, we lost our relationship with God. We lost our relation, ability to relate to one another, and we lost our meaning, our purpose. You know what grace does? It restores every one of those. Grace restores our relationship with God. Grace restores our relationship with one another. Grace restores our purpose here and meaning on earth. It gives us meaning. How, how cool is that? When Don was preaching this morning, I was like, grace, grace does, it takes away the separation. It takes away the meaningless. It gives, I mean, all, I, mean I was writing as fast as I could, Don. I'm sorry, I just got part of your sermon because I was so excited about what you said. Because what we lost in the garden, grace through Christ brought it back. Man, don't take that for granted. Don't take that for granted. So let me give you three ways that, that grace should affect our lives. Number one. It should affect how we see God in our relationship with him. Man, we ought to wake up. We ought to go to bed tonight. We ought to wake up in the morning so grateful for God's grace. For the benefits we have because of God's grace for us. We ought to wake up tomorrow not taking it for granted any longer. We ought to leave here tonight with a heart of thankfulness and graciousness back to God. It should affect how we see each other and relate to one another. We should be looking for opportunities to share the gospel, praying for and being sentenced opportunities to share the gospel with a lost person, a lost neighbor, a lost family member, a lost co-worker, a lost person we just meet during the day, a lost person we meet at a ball game. Because without grace... They're condemned and they experience the wrath of God. And while we say, yay, I don't get to do that, they will unless you say something. We need to be, we need to be praying and looking for that. But then we're also to love each other as God loved us. See, God's grace doesn't just go this way. It goes out this way as, as we interact with one another as God's children. 
As God's adopted sons and daughters, we need to be interacting with one another with grace and through grace. Because of grace. And then lastly, you might be here tonight and you have no clue what I'm talking about. Because you've never personally experienced God's grace. And tonight you can. Tonight you can experience His grace for the very first time. And know what it means to be saved from your past and from your future. And saved into a personal relationship with God. Know that you have meaning. Know that God loves you and He gives you meaning and that you matter to him. And then lastly, that your future will be sealed in heaven with him. Tonight you can do that. In a minute, I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the pastors to come. And as we sing tonight, maybe for the first time, you just need to go, Mike, I, I want to experience God's grace for the first time. And we'll help you do that. We want to help you do that. Maybe you've been taking God's grace for granted. You just need to stop. Whether in a pew, you can come up here. Listen, we got carpet. It's easy on the knees. Just come on up here and you say, God, man, I have been abusing your grace. I have been taking it for granted. And now I want to stand in your presence and worship you. And thank you for, give me for taking that for granted. But now I want to worship you for your grace. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to come pray with somebody. Maybe grace has not been a part of your home or your marriage or your relationship with your children or your adult parents. And tonight, you just need to ask God to help you bring grace into your home and into those relationships. Let's pray. God, your grace is so powerful and it's, it's much deeper than just some words that fall on a t-shirt. The depth and the richness and the fullness of your grace, God, give us minds to understand and hearts to grasp and grab onto. Lord, I pray for those who need to experience your grace for the first time tonight, that tonight would be the night of their salvation, oh God. I pray for us as Wind Baptist Church that we, like the Ephesians, would not forget what you have saved us from and what you have saved us to, and that, God, you, we matter to you. I pray that tonight we would be on our knees repenting, seeking forgiveness because we have abused your grace. We have taken it for granted. We have taken Christ's expense and suffering for granted, O oh Lord. May we come before you humbled. May we come before you with broken hearts. And may you be lifted up and glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.